When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Latest edition of March Madness 365. A happy advance Fourth of July to everyone out there listening. On this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Pitt head coach Jeff Capel and South Carolina head coach Frank Martin. Now, in the last week, there's been two major additions to two potential national championship contenders. Stanford's Reed Travis, who declared for the ME draft, withdrew, ended up going to Kentucky. It was one of the places that he was rumored to be heading toward once he decided to withdraw from the NBA draft. It was supposedly either going to be Kentucky or Villanova. And what Travis does for the Wildcats right away is give them that experienced inside presence, an experienced guy in the locker room that this team needs and covets. John Calipari's most successful teams at Kentucky have had an older player in this case, it's a post-grad transfer type guy who's got great experience at another four-year institution. Other instances, back when he even got there, it was an older Kentucky player. Even sometimes a sophomore like a Tyler Eulis, but who played a lot the previous year, who becomes that leader. This Kentucky team, which has the potential to be a national championship contender, needed a guy like this to join their roster. And getting someone like Reed Travis is a huge, huge benefit for the Kentucky Wildcats. As for Kansas, another team that certainly will be in the hunt for a national championship, they got LeGerald Vick back to their roster. He was an experienced member of last season's team that got to the Final Four. Vic ended up never, well, let me rephrase this. He did declare, but withdrew from the draft in time, but didn't make his plans known about what he was going to do after he withdrew from the draft. So there was an assumption out there that maybe he was just going to go play professional somewhere else, but he left it open. And there was that scholarship that was still back there for him at Kansas. And now you get with Vic, another experienced player for a team that's going to be loaded again. They've got transfers sitting out uh, from Memphis. You know, they've got a great recruiting class. So we got Lawson coming from Memphis. You've got Grimes who's coming in. Now you got Vic coming back. You got Azubuki who, Azubuki, excuse me, who declared, came back. Now Bill Self has the experience that he needs to make another run toward a Big 12 regular season title yet again, and a Final Four appearance possibly again. So that was sort of the news that happened over this past week. Let's get to our guests here on March Madness 365. 
And now join me here on March Madness 365, Pittsburgh head coach Jeff Papel. And uh, Jeff, let's go a little bit backwards uh, to getting this gig. And then I really want to talk about your trip that you took with your team. I love the fact that you did in terms of an educational experience. So let's go back to the decision for this job um, because, you know, you're obviously a successful head coach at Oklahoma, great success as the Duke top assistant, but you knew what was going on at Pitt, the struggles they were having in the ACC. You could see it, obviously, in the league. What made this job so attractive to you? You know, the first thing I, I think is is the uh, tradition of the program. Like, I knew some of the tradition and I knew the teams, especially from Ben Howland and Jamie. You know, the success that they had, you know, since I've gotten here, I've learned about before, but during time that I really started like watching and got involved deeply with college basketball and understanding it, uh, it, it starts, you know, with understanding the success, you know, Ben Howland and what Jamie was able to do. And so I knew that this you know, had been a program that's, you know, not that long ago was ranked number one in the country, was a number one seed or a top two seed in the NCAA tournament uh, that contended year in and year out for Big Ten champion for Big East championships for Big East Conference Tournament championships. You know, so you had all of those things. The fact that it's in the ACC, you know, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I grew up in in the ACC. So the fact that it's that it's in the league, the fact that it's on the East Coast, those things were appealing to me from the jump. As I started kind of diving into trying to understand the job a little bit more, that's when I like realized that it's a really good school. That's something I didn't know. I didn't know the University of Pittsburgh, you know, academically was a really, really good school. That was a big plus for me. Um, but then the thing I think that took it over the top was the relationship and the connection I felt with our athletic director and the chancellor. And after going through the experience at Oklahoma after uh, you know, looking back on my career from VCU to Oklahoma and then going to Duke as an assistant coach and having a chance just to kind of watch and observe and to kind of reevaluate myself and reevaluate the priorities and the things that were important for me, when and if another opportunity presented itself, one of the things that was very, very important for me, maybe the most important, was going to be the relationship and connection I felt with the athletic director and the chancellor, uh, because I feel like that relationship, especially with the AD, is, is is really, really important. And after watching Coach K and Kevin White and really looking and observing that relationship and how both of them worked at it, you know, was something that was very important for me. And when I felt that with Heather, uh, I, I just knew that this was the place and this was the time. How uh, itchy were you to, to be back being a head coach, especially – uh, at a time when things are going so well at Duke, recruiting, uh, you know, the level of play you guys have been, are at, uh, how hard was it to make that decision to go back to take over a program that needs to be rebuilt and leave sort of the comfortable environment of Duke? In some ways, it was, it was very hard. And the main reason, Andy, it was hard was because of my relationship with Coach. You know, when I got fired at Oklahoma, I mean, right away, he was going to create a position for me to come back and join their staff. Initially, not as an assistant coach. It was just going to be a position. But then a little bit later, it became, you know, coming back as an assistant coach. But, you know, what that relationship means to me, you know, obviously it's my alma mater, all of those things. But 
the hardest part was 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 that with coach because like I loved being around him. I loved our time together. I loved learning for, from him. I loved the experiences and the moments that we had together, whether it was on the road recruiting, uh, just conversations that we would have, you know, game planning, you know, stuff with USA basketball. That was the thing that I was probably going to miss the most. I mean, certainly going to, you know, was going to miss the relationship with the with the players and the player parents and all of those things. And, you know, you're right. It was very, very comfortable. So in that way, it was hard. But the fact that, you know, it's it's this job kind of had the things that I was looking for that made it not as difficult, if, if that makes any sense, what I just said. It, it, so it was hard in some instances, but the fact that I, you know, felt like I was picking a place that I chose to come to, that I wanted to come to, that I feel really good about, that I believe in, that, that made it a little bit easier. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were also going through, you know, just incredibly tough personal time with your father's illness and then his passing and to be in a place where you had a, such a great support structure to go through that rather than sort of a new place. And I'm not saying it would have been easier or harder, but just knowing that you had that great comfort and support of loving friends uh, and a place that you're so familiar with going through what you had to go through with your family, uh, I have to believe that that, aid, that, that that sort of helped you get through that as well. Oh, uh, no question. A- absolutely. I mean, I, you know, for me, it's, it's weird. I, I, I'm a, I, I believe that everything happens for a reason. That's something my dad used to always tell me when I was little. And I think going back to Duke for me was necessary. Now, was it something that I ever imagined? No. My, my career was very different. You know, I was an assistant for two years, then became a head coach at 27. I became a head coach at a Power Five conference at 31. And then all of a sudden it came crumbling down. And, you know, as, as that happened, I mean, I was, I was crushed with that and how everything ended in Oklahoma. And so Duke was a lifeline for me. And, you know, I went through something illness-wise after my first year there that was touch and go. And the fact that I was there and I had that support system, I had my family and my Duke family, um, you know, all of those right there. My wife is from Raleigh. My wife went to Duke. And, you know, so you had all of those things. And then certainly, you know, my dad was diagnosed with ALS in 2016. And that was something that was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And the only person that I told was coach. And after the season was over with, you know, I alerted other people that I worked with. But to have that, uh, to have that support system, to have people that I know care about me, not what I can do for them, but care about me. And then obviously, you know, my father passed away in November. And so to have, so it was very necessary, is very important. Um, and it's something that helped me pull through some, some really difficult times. So you are, you know, such a great student of the game, but also a student of life and have always been, I have always admired your, you know, great perspective on everything and, uh, balance. Um, and so I want to address the, the trip you guys took because I, I just, I love the fact that the initiative, especially in today's times to, to think outside the box and to try to to be an educator as much as a coach to help shape these younger minds. You know, Bob McKillop with his Davidson team taking them to Auschwitz. Um, 
And you, as I cited, you know, taking your team to the National Civil Rights Museum. This is not a basketball trip. This is an educational experience. What was your thinking in doing that? And, and what did your guys get out of that? Yeah, you know, when, when, when I had been playing, you know, in my mind, I'd always thought, man, when I become a head coach again, there are a couple things that I want to do that I didn't do before when I was a head coach. You know, some things that maybe I got away from, some things that I did a little bit early when I was at VCU, but for whatever reason, I didn't do it when I was at Oklahoma. But this was one of them, um, you know, this trip to, to Washington, D.C. And, and really the purpose of the trip was, was for, like, I want our guys to understand sacrifice. I want them to understand the sacrifice that people made for us, all of us that are fortunate enough to be involved in this sport. You know, there's a lot about this sport right now, Listen, not even life, real life, but even right now in our sport that – you know, especially in college bas- basketball, that is looked at as negative when you have all this, you know, the FBI stuff, all these things that are going on. But, Andy, we're all still very fortunate to be involved in this. We're all still very fortunate, you know, for us as coaches, for the players to have a chance to be involved with it. And so you take that aspect of it. But then with life, you know, understand the sacrifice that people made for us to be here, whether it was a parent, a grandparent, a coach, a mentor, someone along the way helped you get to this point. They pushed you. They disciplined you. They, they, they encouraged you. They maybe monetarily, you know, did this or sacrifice. They don't do this. So you can do this. You can go to this camp or you can have this exposure. Someone did that for all of us, for us to be at the point where we are right now. And so not only to hear that, to see it, but to also feel it. And the two places that we went, the Smithsonian uh, Museum for African-American History and Culture and Arlington National Cemetery, that's the ultimate sacrifice. Like they did it to make our world better, to protect. You know, you saw discipline. Not only did you see these things, you felt them. You know, these stories, these images, these things were very real. And we were very fortunate. We had two amazing tour guides, curators of each place that could help explain it more. And so that's what we talked about with sacrifice. And the second part of the trip, this is something we'll do a little bit later this summer, is that we're going to pay it forward. So hopefully that got into our minds, got into our hearts, understanding the sacrifice. And then we're going to find something locally here where we go and do stuff for people. And what I want our guys to understand is that that's what life is about. That's one of the things my dad taught me when I was younger was, is, is helping others, you know, being a good guy, being a good man, being a good person, helping people. You know, I grew up in a family, my grandfather, like he did that. And so having a chance to teach these guys and for them to see it and feel it and experience that was, was, was incredibly powerful. And I think it will help our team. I think it will help us grow and become a team. That was another part of it was the team building, team bonding aspect of it. And I just think that's absolutely wonderful, and especially at a time when, you know, the program needs that. And so what have you found since you arrived there this spring and now into the summer that you've been able to sort of pull everyone, you know, these different pieces together to sort of rebuild the brand of pit basketball. Yeah, you know, the thing that I've that I've been able to see and 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 feel is the passion that people in this city and in this community have for the basketball program, the history of it and how they want to get back, you know, to the level of excellence that they once had and and and, and hopefully 
take it to another level. So you feel the passion, you feel the pride that people have, you know, in this program. Um, you know, at one point, Andy, and you know, when you covered the Big East, I mean, this was one of the most difficult places in college basketball to play. And it wasn't that long ago when it was that. And we feel like we can get it back to that, you know, uh, and, you know, so you see that I've, I've seen in our players and our returning guys, I see a hunger, you know, I see a desire for them, you know, to, to get better and to work and to learn. So the attitudes have been great. Uh, you know, their, their their desire to get better, to improve individually, which they know will help us collectively. Um, and then we've been able to sign some, you know, some guys that we think will really help our program and, 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 and help build the foundation of who we're going to be right now and who we're going to become. And so it's been really exciting for me. Obviously, you know, we all know it's a daunting challenge. And this league is not forgiven. I think it's the best basketball league in the country. And so it's going to be certainly a challenge, but I think we're all up for the challenge and understanding the work that's going to take to go into it. So I'm hearing, obviously, how you've changed as a person, you know, great amount of uh, sort of self-assessment, if you will, of where you are in your life and everything. Basketball-wise, how much have you changed as a coach after – you know, going back for sort of uh, almost like a graduate degree uh, under Coach K, you know, a sort of a second time around tutelage um, of learning under him uh, the second time around. How will that translate now in your third stint as a head coach? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, I think I've grown so much as a coach, you know, definitely as a person, like you mentioned, but as a coach, I, I think I see the game a little bit different. I think I understand it a little bit different. I think I understand the, you know, some nuances and relationships and, you know, just different things, you know, the, the, the ability and the willingness that you have to adapt, um, you know, all those things. And that certainly comes from coach K my experiences with him with Duke, but also having a chance to be involved with USA basketball and understanding, you know, just how many good coaches and their different ways to do things. You know, when I was, before, like I said, when I was 27 and I was hired at VCU, like it wasn't popular. Like it wasn't like VCU fans or whatever were excited. I mean, they were, you know, what the hell is going on? What are we doing? <laughs> you know, and it wasn't until after we won my second year where there was maybe an excitement and, and a belief in me. When I went to Oklahoma, I was hired at 31. I mean, honestly, that was the same thing. It was, and so I kind of always, you know, maybe maybe that, and I didn't realize it at the time, especially when I went to Oklahoma, maybe it made me kind of internal. Like I just kind of, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to work. I have to figure this thing out. Whereas now I understand I can't just figure it out. I have to have great help. My staff has to be great. I think I understand the importance of staff even more. Not that I didn't understand it then, but I think I understand it at a greater level now, but also to empower those guys more you know, to listen more, to, to, to be able to adapt more. Uh, you know, all those things, I think, you know, have all helped me become a better coach. And, and lastly, uh, Jeff, on, on the court, what will this team look like next season? Maybe specifically any guys that you have seen over the spring and summer here early uh, where you feel like, you know, you guys can naturally make a little bit of an uptick, keeping the expectations low, but, you know, that there will be, uh, you know, some good basketball to watch, and here's why. Uh, come next season. Yeah, you know, I think the first thing is that, you know, we're going to be small. You know, we're, we're we're not a big team. You know, we don't have great depth in the front court. And so we're going to be smaller. So, you know, how do we use that to our strength? Well, one of the first things is that we need to be in amazing shape. And then we have to have a toughness 
in a competitive spirit every time we step on the court because we're going to be playing against bigger guys. Um, and so to be able to compete rebounding defensively, protecting our paint and things like that. Offensively, you know, I think we have to be a team that, that uses that, you know, uses our speed, our athleticism, the fact that we are small, you know, doing, you know, different things offensively. But the main thing, Andy, I want to see is every day practice, workouts, lifting, everything they do is for them to be competitive. You know, for us to understand what that means, that you have to show up every day and you have to figure out how do I beat this person? You know, look, all these coaches, most of the coaches, man, you know, they're really good X's and O's and you have a style that you want to play and things like that. I think all those things are very important. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, can I beat you? Like, how do I beat you? How do I figure out? Because you can have all the plans you want, but sometimes those things go awry. And what do you have inside of you where you understand and you can figure out, okay, how do I beat this person? That's what the game of basketball comes down to. And we want to see that every day. We want to build up to where we earn the right to be that type of team. The thing I've told our guys is, like, look, it's not easy. Winning's not easy. You know, I, I know I've been on both ends as a, as a player playing for a national championship to the next year we were 2-14. and 14. You know, at Duke, when coach was out, and then we had to rebuild it as a as a head coach. You know, having seasons. You know, I, I had my first losing season as a head coach in my eighth year, and you know, now all of a sudden going through from going from an elite eight to the next year having a losing season, and so you have to fight, you have to earn it. It doesn't just happen. And how you show up every day, how you compete every day, your approach, your attitude, that goes a long way in determining what type of team you're going to be. Well, Jeff, I'm thrilled that you're back in as a head coach. Uh, obviously, you never left, but just that you've got your own team now, and I think things are only going to continue to get better at Pitt with you at the helm. So thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, Andy. And coming up next here on March Madness 365, South Carolina head coach Frank Martin. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, South Carolina head coach Frank Martin. Uh, Frank, a couple things I want to just sort of unpack with you. First of all, uh, a new addition here late in the season. Uh, you guys uh, added A.J. Lawson, a six foot seven wing from Canada. At this time of the year, uh, how hard is it to add like a, a quality player, a guy that actually can you know help impact your team the following season? It's part of the new dynamic that we uh, we're looking at now, and as we recruit is. You know, some of these kids are close enough to graduating and they're making decisions in April and May to kind of take a couple extra courses so they can put themselves in a place to graduate. And uh, so you're, you're constantly kind of in conversations trying to figure that out. And, and A.J. made that decision uh, in early May. And uh, so then we had to, uh, you know, we had a scholarship open and we were hot and heavy after him for the class of 2019. And. When he made that decision, I, you know, I said, well, absolutely, we'll take you now. And uh, uh, and we just kind of hit the fast forward button a little bit. But it's it's all part of this new, uh, you know, recruiting has changed. And, um, you know, whether it's grad transfers or kids that are graduating early and, um, you know, reclassification or whatever it is you want to call it. You know, the transfer market obviously is continuing to grow and change. So spring and summer recruiting is a little different than it was even five years ago. So we're seeing these guys reclassify. And for the most part, I mean, these players are physically ready 
whether it's a year early or not. I mean, Marvin Bagley is obviously a great example of that this past year ends up being the number two draft pick. Are these guys, for the most part, that are doing this physically ready to make that jump? you know, and, and have an impact as sort of a reclassified freshman? Yeah, this is where, you know, kids that play in other countries, they used to develop quicker than our guys for the sole reason that they played year-round. This is where AAU, summer basketball, whatever wording you want to use for it, because they're different. Summer club basketball and AAU is different animals, but but we call it all, we lump it into AAU. Uh, our kids over the last five years, now they play all year too. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, with AJ, you know, he's a young man that, that's been playing year round uh, for, for a while. But, you know, our guys, uh, because of summer basketball, uh, they've ended up in the same place where they're playing year round. So they're a lot more prepared than, you know, when I was in high school or even when I was coaching high school basketball you know, in the 90s. So Chris Silva decided to sort of test the process, which a lot of guys did this spring, comes back to you. He's the reigning SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Take me through that process with him, about him sort of flirting with it, like a lot of these guys have around the country, and and his decision to come back and what you hope that he can do for you this next season. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was genuinely excited about, uh, you know, it's something he and I spoke about at this time last year. Uh, and he worked his tail off to obviously become a first-team all-league player, defensive player of the year, uh, improve uh, as an individual player, and um, you know take on the responsibility of, of, of a leader on our team to put himself ready for this opportunity. And, and he did everything he could. That's the, the great part of that rule is that he was able to go. And rather than listen to some guy on the street uh, some guy that claims to know, or even me, who does speak with general managers, uh, he got this firsthand from NBA people as to uh, where he's at, where, where they think he's at, uh, what their opinions are. So it, he can be at peace with his dream of playing in the NBA, um, you know, continuing to be there because he's getting real information. He's not getting it secondhand, thirdhand, or what happens in today's situation guess hand which is someone that has no idea but has a lot of opinions so with silverback with lawson joining a class of five incoming freshmen um when your guys are on campus this summer what do you hope that they will get out of it that will be a springboard to next season and this team being able to climb back up in that upper echelon of the sec yeah i mean it's it's not just chris on his own i mean you look at hassani gravit and mike coats two guys that played big minutes uh, the season before and played on the platform against Gonzaga uh, when we played in the final four. And then they came in last year and both of them played a ton of minutes and took on more responsibility. Uh, And they both have grown as players. And, you know, now you add to that, Chris, and you've got a nucleus of guys that played on the biggest platform and now were responsible for last year. Then you take a Felipe Hasse, Jason Cutt, uh, you know, guys that, that played minutes for us last year and, and as freshmen and continue to improve, they're a year better. And if you look at my history as a coach, freshman to sophomore, there's usually a big jump as a player because we, we spent a lot of time trying to help these guys get better and, and we work at it. And now you throw in their Jermaine Cousinard, TJ Moss, AJ Lawson. Uh, you take a grad transfer that's played 85 college games and Trey Campbell. You know, you're starting to talk about 
having some pieces. And Justin Benaya, let's not forget him. Uh, you know, Justin was a 10-point-a-game guy, uh, nine-something or whatever, uh, as a true freshman on last year's team. You know, he's also going to be in started every game he played. He's going to be a lot better. So I'm excited. Uh, you know, Andy, I'm not into predictions. I'm just into knowing whether or not uh, what we have in place connects with me and my mind. And, and right now I feel like we got a group of guys that are totally connected with what we're trying to do. Well, and the beauty is with your run two years ago, the culture's in place. And so you can go through a natural sort of, I wouldn't call them even dips, almost like little, little, little valleys, if you will, that are natural to then, you know, go down a little and come back up as you sort of restock, retool. And obviously you want to, you don't want to even suffer a little bit down, but I mean, it's sort of more, more natural and realistic that there's going to be a little bit of that ebb and flow, if you will, uh, because you've built that culture of winning, you know, at South Carolina and you can point back, hey, this is what we can accomplish when we're all on the same page. Absolutely, Andy. You, you don't go from not winning an NCAA tournament game from 1973, four, somewhere there, until two years ago, and all of a sudden becoming a, an annual Final Four contender. It doesn't work that way. I'd like for it to work that way. <laughs> Fortunately, it doesn't work that way. We've set a record. You know, we what four consecutive winning seasons for the first time since the 70s. Um, you know, we, we last season. Uh, we, we dealt with inexperience, a ton of injuries, especially at our most inexperienced spot on the floor, which is point guard. And yet somehow we managed to stay the course, survive, and by the end of the year, we'd become a pretty good team. And um, that's all part of that culture you're talking about, uh, part of the, the fact that guys don't run away from difficult times. They embrace it, and they take it on and keep growing and, uh, and stay optimistic and uh that we've got that in place right now, and uh, it's a it's a matter of uh, uh, just staying in their corner uh, and continuing to be patient as they grow. Uh, and uh, as long as they're going to be the caretakers of, of what we fought to build, and they're doing that right now. And when I'm talking about they, I'm talking about the players, and uh, you know, and that's what we have to do and, and continue to push for. Scheduling wise, um, of the games that you can control, what have you put together so far? Yeah, it's a hard, probably the hardest schedule I've ever played in my time here. You know, we've got a couple of ACC opponents. We've got Michigan at Michigan. Uh, there's a chance we play Providence up at the Mohegan Sun. There's a chance we might play Michigan twice. Right in that tournament. You know, we're, uh, uh, you know, I, I would assume we're going to be, I, I, I shouldn't say assume. I, I You caught me off guard here. I'm pretty sure we're away in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Uh, so just those games alone, I just rattled off. Well, you got Clemson. What's the other ACC game? You got Clemson and? Uh, Virginia. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. So just those games alone, you know, you're talking about the the, the, the national number one seed that returns their whole team, you know, uh, playing them. You're talking about Clemson, who's a Sweet 16 team that returns a good nucleus of their team, their leading scorer and so forth. And, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and then you add to that Michigan, Final Four team. Uh, you know, Providence, what Ed Cooley's done there is unbelievable. Uh, you know, so it's the schedule next year is going to be extremely challenging, but that's okay. I've always, I've always believed in playing hard games. It's it's the way it needs to be, and uh, it sounds good. It sounds good in June talking to you. Once you get to November, you don't sleep real good, but that's the way it needs to be. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll refresh your memory. You're at Oklahoma State in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. There you go. I, I was pretty sure we were on the road. I just couldn't remember here at the spur of the moment. Um, Frank, one other thing before I let you go that, that I know you're on top of, and uh, I just want to get your perspective of what we've seen lately is, I think, a much better awareness of how much coaches are not just coaches, that they're also teachers. And in this era where we need more positivity, more civil behavior, more awareness of everything, you know, Bob McKillop taking Davidson to Auschwitz to get them aware of that. You know, Jeff Capel just took his Pittsburgh team to the Civil Rights Museum in D.C. Uh, You have constantly been, I think, at the forefront of being socially active of what you know, has happened around the globe, around the country, in the region. How much do you take on that responsibility with your players, not just you and your family, to make sure that they're aware of, you know, important topics now, in the past, to help shape them for the future? I always have. uh, I, I, I think the biggest, you know, we're in education. And one of the things we have to understand as we're teaching young people is we got to continue to hold them accountable. That's number one. That's hard to do. It's hard to hold my children accountable. It's hard to hold my players accountable, but that's my responsibility. That's my duty. Secondly, in education, one of the things we have to teach these kids, which we have failed at in our sport, uh, is how to be philanthropic. We teach these kids because of social media and all these things that exist, that it's all about them. So all then when they have success, we want to criticize them when they think it's about them. Uh, well, a big part of what we have to do in education is when you teach them how to be philanthropic as they learn how to work. So if they get the opportunity to get put on a platform, they realize that while they're on that platform, their duty is to elevate everyone else, not to sit there and look down at everyone else. And, and, and you have to expose these kids to all kinds of different things. Uh, you know, Andy, like, for example, when we went to Costa Rica the summer before the final four run uh i could care less what the scores of those games were uh we i just wanted our guys to play the game the right way we took these kids and and we ran these clinics in all these different neighborhoods throughout the country our guys were floored how people lived in costa rica they were floored with the facilities that these kids were being asked to to, to spend their summer hours at and uh it makes us understand how lucky we are uh how grateful we should be so we can keep working hard because there's so many people out there that need our help. And it's what we try to do. Appreciate it, Frank. As always, uh, just love talking all topics with you because uh, um, you get it. You know, you get your role and what you need to do, not just as the head coach at South Carolina, but also really as a human being. So uh, appreciate you, Frank. It means a lot, Andy. Thank you. And that's a wrap on March Madness 365. As always, you can download our podcast on iTunes and catch all elements of this podcast across all our NCAA.com platforms and Turner Podcasts. Thanks for listening. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 
6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.